All right, well, good morning. If you would turn to Isaiah 48. So I'm gradually making my way through Isaiah. Um, I think once I finish it, I'm going to go back and read, starting at chapter 40 to the end again, just because there's so much great stuff and so much about Yeshua and end time stuff and him. And what's going to be happening, it's, it's really fascinating. And it's fascinating also to be reading Isaiah now through this Hebraic mindset that now we're open to because a lot of it that, at least for me anyway, in the past when I read it, it sounds like it's being to Israel, just certain stuff for Israel. And, you know, I've, we've memorized, I've memorized verses that are wonderful verses, uh, but they're addressed to Israel. And somehow, you know, in our Christian mindset, you just kind of substitute and everything's okay. But now, since, you know, we realize that when a person is born again, they're grafted in, they are, we are Israel. We're as legit Israel as anybody else is legit Israel. Uh, we're just Israel by the faith of Abraham. Um, we don't claim a blood heritage, a blood lineage. As a matter of fact, Yeshua made it very clear it's not by blood. It's by the Spirit. It's a new birth. And a change takes place. And that's what makes you a part of the family of God and hence makes you a part of Israel. Yeah. Just like Ruth, a Moabite. She trusted in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she came and lived in Israel, in Judah, so she became a, a, a Hudite, I can't say that, Yehudite, uh, a part of the nation of Israel. So she was an Israelite, just like we are. So it's been just a lot of fun for me to, you know, after what, being saved since 73, the last 8, 9, 10 years, whatever it is now, to be working my way through Scripture and seeing a new identity, me, with this new identity uh, as an Israelite. And just so much comes open. Now, we're going to read chapter 48, verses uh, 1 through 8. And then I'm going to focus on one specific thing that I want us to look at. So, Isaiah 48 says, Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of Jehovah and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. Jehovah of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is as an iron sinew, and thy brow brass, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee. Lest thou should say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. Thou hast heard, see all this, and will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou dost not know them. They are created now, and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not. Lest thou should say, Behold, I knew them. Yea, thou heardest not, yea, thou knewest not. Yea, from the time that thine ear was not opened. For I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously, and was called a transgressor from the womb. Now, interestingly, there's, there's a few different references in the book of Isaiah. We're not going to look, look at them. In relation to the womb, I find it very fascinating. There's um, several verses. I think the first time it's mentioned is 13, 18. But there's this thing of from the womb. And I think that's interesting, especially in our country. If you read my latest blog, because Roe v. Wade and 
and all the abortions and everything that, you know, while they're in the womb, they're not really alive because you can't see them. So if you get rid of them in the womb, and there's so many references in Isaiah, plus throughout the scripture about how life is in the womb. There is life in the womb. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And so I don't know if, if, if this is supposed to be indicative of the end times, especially when we see these references in Isaiah to the womb of how there's going to be a change, a mind shift societally in relation to life in the womb. I don't know. It's just a thought. But I like how it's highlighted. Now, um, I want to look at verses 1 and 2. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of Jehovah, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. Jehovah of hosts is his name. Now, so I've just been going through this in Isaiah, and for years, a thing has been kind of rolling around in my head. Didn't know how to even start to bring it to the forefront. And this is going to be it. This is like the first time I'm trying to verbalize some thoughts that I've had for years. And, and probably because so much stuff is happening prophetically, I'm feeling a little bit more at liberty to share some of the things that I want to share today. And so we're going to focus in just on the word truth, verse 1, which swear by the name of Jehovah and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. And when I read that this week, whenever that was, uh, I thought, that's it. Because they swear by the name of Jehovah, they make mention of the God of Israel, talking about Israel, but it's not in truth nor in righteousness. And I just thought, that's just like today. That's just like what I've been trying to figure out in my own head and get across. You have a bunch of people that call on the name of God, call on the name of Jehovah, who, who claim to be his people. But then Isaiah says, no, no, that's not true. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of Jehovah, make mention of the God of Israel, but it's not in truth nor in righteousness. And I love that. So you have this group of people that have the tag on them, I am God's, he is mine, I'm his. And Isaiah comes along and says, nope. No, you're not. And I think the audacity, how can he say that? How does he know that? Because you're dealing somewhat with stuff that is going on inside when on the outside, another dramatization is being played out. On the outside, we're gods, we're, we're, we're offerings, you know, we're, we're claiming to be his, but internally... And, and God knows this, and I've got to be careful how I wade through this because I don't want us to become the spirit policemen. But God says, no, I don't care what your external actions are if you are not producing them from a position of truth and righteousness. It's not of any value. So, and we're going to go through this, but, well, let me just go with this. Since I started. All right, so we're going to focus on our truth. Here's, here's a question. Does a person's life and doctrine have to match up to a true profession of faith? I'm going to try to build this. Does a person's life and doctrine have to match up to a true profession of faith? In other words, can a person be a true believer and have a mixture of true and false doctrinal beliefs and practices. Can a person be a true believer and have a mixture of true and false doctrinal beliefs and practices? No. Because 
they, they sort of have true doctrine here. We're God's, we're claiming we're His and He's, he's our, our God. But in their practice, their practice does not match up with the doctrine they say they're adhering to. Because it talks about a little bit later on that, you know, I'm, I kept all this from you because I didn't want you to say that your gods and your idols told you this ahead of time. I mean, they've already given over to falsehood. And so, one of the things, let me say this and then we'll move on. We tend to get confused as believers when we come across someone who knows and says all the right things, but we don't really sense a kindred spirit within that person. We tend to get confused as believers when we come across someone who knows and says all the right things, but we don't really sense a kindred spirit within that person. Now, we have to be careful here because none of us are the police and none of us uh, spiritual police and none of us can see in the heart. However, 1 Corinthians 12.10 talks about the gift of discerning of spirits. And that is something that we are supposed to be able to pick up on. Discerning the spirit of an individual. And so sometimes, especially we've seen it in the Messianic movement, but it's also true of Christianity in the larger scope. Somebody comes in wearing a kippah, has a prayer shoulder, throws out the right lingo, uh, Yeshua, Yehovah, Torah, yes, and say everything. Well, they, they look the part, but we're finding out that oftentimes the doctrine that is in the Word of God is not what is really on the inside, even though the outside looks like it's a genuine article. Am I, am I being clear here? I need, I need some feedback every once in a while, because like I said, it's brand new. I'm trying to get this out for the first time, and this is kind of an internal work in process out my mouth right now. But I, I know that the substance of what I'm saying is true, and the substance of what I am saying is going to get bigger and bigger as we enter more and more into the end times before Yeshua comes. We're already seeing this. Probably the biggest thing, just and I'm not going to hammer this, but the biggest thing is right now this seeming marriage and linking up between Protestantism and Catholicism. Two diametrically opposed doctrinal foundations, but yet it's coming together and becoming an amalgam externally, not manifesting the truth of what is really going on inside. And I'm getting concerned about this. This marriage, this, this re no need of really paying attention to doctrine anymore as long as we can get together under the guise of God, under the, the auspice of God, and claim that we're all one, and now we are going to do good to our fellow man, and we're no longer worried about doctrine. And so the Reformation that happened 500 years ago has basically been done away with in the last 20 years or so. There's no more divide between what we call Protestantism, which by default we sort of are, but not really, but Protestantism and Catholicism. And, and that's really been the two streams for a long, long time. But now it's all coming together. And you have people on both sides. You have Catholicism, which says the right things, but they have a different doctrinal mindset. Then you have the Protestants who say the right thing. They have a do different doctrinal mindset. But we throw in the different doctrinal... Of course, it all goes to Catholicism. But we're throwing away all our doctrinal differences so that we can come together because that is... And I've heard this. Isn't that what Yeshua said? That we need to be one so that the world will know that God is real. And so unity at the expense of doctrine... And we, we can't go down this. And, and this, this is not a new problem. It's going to get worse. But this is what Isaiah is dealing with. You people have all the right practices, but internally it's not in truth and it's not in righteousness. What's the problem? 
the doctrine which is motivating the rest of their life, and they cover it over in religiosity, you come to find out that they, they are worshiping idols. And God says, no, you are stiff-necked, your ears are closed, you're not mine because it's not in truth and it's not in righteousness. I don't care what you do. All right, so am I, am I doing okay? Yeah. All right. Now, some verses to clarify this. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. And I don't think this is going to be long, although I'm already longer than I thought it would be as far as my introduction. But, all right, so this is point one. Some verses to help clarify this, all right? Some basic ones. I, I, I need you to see what I'm seeing. That there can be externals going on that appear to be correct, but internally there's a disconnect. All right? So Matthew 7. I started seeing this a long time ago. This is back when we were first married and... Who do we have? I don't even know if we had Koi at this time in our little southern town, reading through the scriptures. And this just jumped off the pages at me because I thought from going to Bible school, thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. All these people love God, to finding out that there were many of them that went to chapel, carried a Bible, took Bible courses that were just lost. But yet they looked right, sounded right, talked right, took the right classes, had the right Bible. But they were lost. All right, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. This is you speaking. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's the truth and the righteousness. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name, prophesied, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, miracles. So they're preaching. They are in the spirit realm casting out demons and doing miracles. And Yeshua says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, Ye that work, and really you should put in the word Torahlessness, because that's what the word for iniquity is. You who work Torahlessness. Now, isn't that scary? To me, that's scary, especially since coming into the Messianic movement, where you know we're seeing this, our minds open to the whole Torah. And Yeshua says, I don't care if you've preached, if you've <laughs> delved into the darkest realms of spiritual warfare and done miracles. I never knew you. You're workers of iniquity, workers of lawlessness. You are Torah-less. I don't know how to explain that any better than what it says, right? To me, this is scary stuff. So they externally looked apart. I mean, if... (laughs) I've, we've had people in our congregation that bent on giving me a word and bent on, they have the gift of healing. It, it just all sounds right. I mean, how do, you, how do you dispute any of that? You can't. It's in the spirit realm that you start to question that stuff. So, you know, we've had people that have prophesied over us, uh, gone into the spirit realm and dealt with dark issues and been victorious, and, and they can heal, quote-unquote, for, for those listening. And we are at a loss as to know what to do with that, right? Because what happens now, it, it transfers from the realm of what you can know by I versus what you're supposed to know by the Spirit. And that's where we lose the battle all the time because, because we, we cannot prove a person's spirit. 
Lots of times you can't even get them to admit to their own spirit. But we're sensing something's not right. Not just us here, but others. This is is true of believers that are truly born again, walking in the Word, filled with the Spirit, and, and God's giving them perhaps to a measure the gift of discerning of spirits. You know, I mentioned that before. All these gifts that everybody doesn't have because they want just one or two, tongues, healings, and, and wh- whoever, whatever else. Well, I, you know, I want some of the quote-unquote lesser ones because they're not so less. Because you can't go anywhere, and we're going to end with this, if you cannot discern the spirit of a person. Interestingly, when these folks come into our congregation or we're, we, we come in contact with them, they have no problem discerning our spirit, though, right? Right? And they make that clear, but we cannot go. It always works this way in, in life in general. You know, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. You don't go in and fix leaven. It just doesn't work. Leaven wins. So people know our spirit where we're coming from, but we cannot question the spirit where they're coming from because all of a sudden we're judgmental. So this isn't as crazy as I'm saying, right? Because people know what our spirit is, where we're coming from. All right, now, a couple more. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Again, this, just, this is it for the verses of clarification. I need you to enter into my mindset here on this. So Revelation chapter 2. Um, let's see. All right, verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Isn't that a good verse? This is exactly what I'm saying. People coming into their midst. Here's a good group of people, evidently. I know thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear with them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. How dare they do that? (laughs) I come in and I tell you I'm an apostle. Well, you can't question that. They did, and they found them liars. One of John's favorite words if you read through 1 John. For John, there's only truth and lie, truth and lie. There is, I, there's nothing in between for John. Nothing. All right, um, verse 9. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Woo! This is powerful stuff. And we're held accountable because this instruction is in the Word of God to help us open up our own eyes and to realize, whoa, there's something going on that we can't really tell on the outside. It's in the spirit realm. Okay, one more in Revelation chapter 3. Ah. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Wow. Liar, 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 liar. What a judgmental person he is. How dare he question those that preach and those that cast out demons and, and can heal. How dare us question that? But we're supposed to. So what Isaiah is having to deal with and confront are lies couched in truth. Lies couched 
in truth. And that has always been the battleground because you cannot, you can't condemn anybody on that which you just sense. When they put on a lie, or they are a lie, but they couch it in zitzit, or they couch it in church attendance, or they couch it in whatever religious work you want to say. That's always been a battle. So, second of all, in the realm of the religious world, because that's where I'm focusing, in the realm of the religious world, is truth objective or can it be subjective? Is truth objective or can it be subjective? No, it cannot be subjective. But... Truth today is becoming, in the religious world, very much subjective. What I feel, what I think, where truth is supposed to be objective and not subjective. Subjective, what it means to me. That's really what it is, subjective. What it means to me. I think it's okay to sign this decree, the Lutherans and the Catholics and the... uh, uh, Reformation that is over. We've joined. Well, show me that in the scripture. It doesn't matter these days. It's what, it's what makes sense or what it means to people because we're supposed to throw out doctrine. We're, I've heard messages where and read stuff where folks are saying it's we have to set aside doctrine. Well, what was the Reformation all about? What, what did all these people, the Reformers, Calvin and, and, and the big names all the way through Spurgeon, it, the Reformation, it was about doctrine. It was about that dirty, ugly word, doctrine. It gets in the way. Objective means not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering and representing facts. Objective. Not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering, when considering, uh, in considering, uh, let me say again, I'll just read it. Not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering and representing facts. It means that basically to have no bias, to be unbiased, right? That is hard to do. Nobody's bias less. <laughs> it's, it's next to impossible to do. You, we, I will become less biased if we are willing to find truth, regardless of my own personal feelings. Or my own personal opinions. We don't enter into something with a predisposition and make everything else conform to our predisposition. We walk into whatever we're walking into in a religious realm without leaving our predispositions, having the scriptures, and judging and verifying everything by the scriptures as best we can. Since God is the designer creator of all things, he obliged himself to give us truth. 2 Peter 1.3, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God doesn't want us to walk around stumbling along trying to figure out what is truth. God hasn't left truth to be uh, subjective. What anybody or anybody or if you get the biggest group of people, what they say truth is, well, therefore that's truth. No. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The truth to live life like God wants us to be or to live life according to his truth. Well, where is that? Is it in my feelings? Is it by my mental Reasonings and deductive abilities, or is there a source? Yeah. 
So, three. Where do we find absolute truth for faith and practice? Is there such a thing? Because in saying this, that by default says some are not right and some are right. Some are less right and some are uh, more right. Nobody has it completely right. And to some degree, nobody's completely wrong because Satan couches lies in truth. That's how he's effective. He didn't come along and say, hey, by the way, here, I'm going to give you falsehood. It's totally against God and his word. And you know what? I want you to do this, please. He doesn't do that. He's a liar. The very nature of a liar is deception. A lie is deception. So where do we find absolute truth for faith and practice? First off, Isaiah 65 the first source is God himself. So, you know, even if you take it out of the religious realm, I mean, that's absolute, uh, uh, absolute truth. Where do you find it? God. Well, they have to start with God. Is God real? Is there a God? Is, did God create? Or are we just a bunch of random stuff coming all together? And then if we get into the religious realm, well, what God? Who is a God? How many gods are there? But the Bible tells us that God is a source of truth. Isaiah 65. Let me get there. Verse uh, 16. That he, we're just picking it up. That he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. Truth, and he that swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. So that's the source of truth, God. He never lies. He never dissembles. He never puts on a false appearance to hide what he really is. And he doesn't give instructions that confuse. I mean, he went, if you think of it, he, if I can say it this way, he went through all this trouble to give us this book that we hold in our hands. It's, it's a manual. It's an operator's manual. Oh, it's open to interpretation, and who do you know? And Well, that's why when a person gets saved, the Spirit of God comes to reside because these things cannot be discerned naturally. They have to be discerned by the Spirit of God, and that's what the Spirit of God does. All right, uh, go to, um, let's see, Psalm 71. And let's see, verse 22. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy Truth, oh my God. God is a God of truth, and it's His truth that we are to adhere to, cling to, live by, practice, and use to discern between lies and not lies. So God Himself is a source of absolute truth. And then, while you're in Psalms, uh, go up to 119. And, let's see, 142. So God himself, second of all, the word or the Torah. 119, 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy Torah is one of many truths. Pick one. No. And this will ring true in just a minute when we, get to, when we hear what Yeshua said. Thy Torah, it's the word Torah, is the truth. See, now that we're in this Hebraic mindset, this gets even scarier because, and I'm not saying anybody that doesn't adhere to the Torah like we now are, are seeing it, Zitzitz and all the Hafiz and are not, isn't, aren't saved, but you start to realize what a precarious position we were in. When we misrepresented the truth that walked on this earth, Yeshua, and said, hey, he came to do away with himself. Don't worry about it. Parte. Bacon on. Right? And I had, 
it's so interesting to look back now 40 years of my own life to realize that the checks in my spirit about these things that I've told you multiple times that I did not understand why the Sabbath was done that way, why no more festivals and feasts, why are we eating whatever the H-E-double-L-L we feel like in the name of Yeshua? I should have said double toothpicks. That's what I was thinking of saying. No, God is truth. His word is truth. His Torah is the truth. Doesn't it make sense? Who do you think would come up with the, with the, the message that Torah has been done away with? If you just think about it. But God did something different with the church. No. Oh, do you not see how confusing it gets? Because it says here, the Torah is the truth. But it's going to change. Just hang on. Does that not confuse anybody other than myself? This stuff confused me. This stuff confused me because it seems to be saying one thing, but that's not what I've been taught. I was taught Yeshua came to do away with it. All right, anyway, I'm ranting here. Uh, okay, so let's go up to John, Gospel of John, chapter 8. So just remember the Torah is the truth, all right? So John 8. And let's see here, 840. Um, uh, 8, let me see, I could get my head together here. 8, uh, 44. All right, let's see, I hope I have the right thing here. Yes. Uh, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your forty-four, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And, uh, let's see, what am I reading to? And, because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. All right, now, what I just want you to basically see is the Torah made flesh here is saying, I've come to tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Uh, John 17. So the word, Yeshua, speaking there. Don't miss that connection. Yeshua speaking. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The words made flesh dwelt among us. So the, the word was saying, I came to tell you the truth. I love it. All right, so John 17, and you know this, Yeshua speaking in this prayer of unity, which everybody's mutilating these days, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. We're being told to just set aside doctrine. It's irrelevant. Let's, whatever can get us together and unite us under God, that's what we're going to focus on. I heard, actually heard one guy said, say, and he used to be a Protestant, now he's a Catholic, say, you know, don't worry about that now, just leave it to God, God will settle all that when we get up there. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. All right, so the word, and then, as I've hinted at, Yeshua, the word, the Torah made flesh. Uh, we just read John eight forty four, and let's see, let's let's see, let's see, John. Eighteen, John eighteen, thirty seven. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou? A king then? Yeshua answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said unto him, What is truth? I mean, he had truth right there in front of him, talking to him. And Yeshua says, This is why I came. To bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth. Here's my voice. And then back to John 14. You know this one. But this gets us back to what I was talking about in the psalm there. John 14, 
6, Yeshua said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Yeshua is truth. He was truth walking. And he was on this earth. Why? Because he was the Torah made flesh. And he lived out, talked out, performed truth. And he came to manifest the truth of the Torah, not to do away with the Torah. So where do we find absolute truth for faith and practice? God himself, the word, of uh, uh, Torah, and Yeshua, the word, the Torah made flesh. Now, that's very simple to us right here, and especially those who are saved, but we're talking about God. Whew, that's a big question, Mark. Is there a God? You know, we don't struggle with this because we have the Spirit of God in us, but a whole host of millions of people don't know if there's a God or not. Let alone this guy, Jesus, Yeshua. Was he just a good man? Was he a man? And then at his baptism, the Spirit of the Messiah came upon him, stayed on him for those years, and then when he died, it, it left? There's all these crazy ideas out there. Now, we're going to finish this up. So what's our responsibility? What is our responsibility? And this is what really nobody likes because it gets you down into the down and dirty. This is, this is quite frankly, I mean, you know, I got saved and came into the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Well, you were of the world, you belonged. One of my verses, the psalmist says, I am a stranger in the world, this world. So you are of the world, then you get saved. Now that's just a whole other subcategory. But you are one step removed from the world. And then you become, as I did, because that's where the message was preached, an independent fundamental Baptist. Well, that just separates you even smaller, right? And then you come into the Messianic movement, and now your circle's even getting smaller. But then, if you want to be somebody that's going to do what I'm going to, we're going to look at here in a minute, then your circle gets narrowed even more. And we're struggling with that. I struggle with this. I don't understand this. But Yeshua said, beware when all men speak well of you. He's already told us that we're going to be hated for his namesake. It's going to be just like it was in the end times as it was in the days of Noah. Who'd Noah get on the ark? Himself and his family. You know, you can look at it, what a failure. No, how many people don't have their family in the ark, right? You know, we bemoan ourselves because right now, basically, it's, it's our family and a few that, you know, that are here that still haven't left. And who, but I sit here and think, this is really cool. Noah got his family in the ark. Yeshua's going to get his family safely to him. So what's our responsibility? You come from the world, you get saved, whatever circle and group you're in, all right, religiously. Then after that, for those of you that are listening and we who have experienced it, you come into the Messianic movement, now the circle's even smaller. But then you find out the reason you left the world is because it was a lie. You get saved, you come into the religious world. Then you realize after a while that, well, some of this just doesn't seem to line up with the Scripture, so you pull out of that, and you come into what we thought was the answer, the Hebraic Messianic movement, because look at this. They're wearing zitzits, and they're observing the festivals and all this stuff, and eating right, and this is what the Bible said anyway. But then you get into the Messianic movement, and then you find out, well, wait a minute. Everything's not kosher <laughs> in, the, in the Messianic movement. So then, in relation to all three that I just mentioned, we're supposed to have something going on within us that really starts causing problems and getting people mad. All right, 1 John. Four. Verse one. First John chapter four. Verse one. Beloved, believe 
not every spirit. But try, test the spirits, whether they are of God. Well, why? Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua is the Messiah, who has come in the flesh, is of God. And that's not just saying, yes, Jesus walked and lived on this earth, but that he was actually God manifest in the flesh while he was here. Because I have a bunch of, had, and still have a whole bunch of family members that believe in Jesus, but they don't possess salvation because they cannot yield to his claims on their life. Um, and every three, and every spirit that confesses not that Yeshua, Messiah, is come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. What I just mentioned a second ago about there are people that actually believe that Yeshua was born as a human. When he was baptized and the spirit came down, that that's when the Messiah spirit came upon him. And for those next three and a half years, that's when he was God in the flesh, not prior to that. That's part of the error of Gnosticism. All right, verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, and knoweth God heareth us. And he that is of God heareth not us. Hereby we know, and there's only two spirits in this world, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, we are told to test the spirits, whether they are of God. And there's only two spirits. I don't care how you dress them up. There's a spirit of truth, and there's a spirit of error. There's no middle ground. And when you sense things are starting to get fuzzy, when you start to sense that the, demarc- uh, the boundaries between Truth and error are starting to muddy step back. And that's what the Spirit of God will do in us because that's part of His responsibility to help us be able to discern spirits because many false prophets are gone out in the world. And folks, I'm telling you, it's not just back then when Yeshua lived, it's now. We have no problems kind of tumbling our mind back to say, well, sure, that was very evident during, during the early Bible times, but not now. Well, they were just as confused and struggling with the issue just like we are. That's why John wrote this. I mean, they were struggling with who is of truth and who is of error. And John was just saying, listen, there's too much at stake here. Somebody's going to have to get serious and start testing the spirits. And that's what nobody likes. Coming to the congregation, we didn't used to do this. I didn't want to do this. We're going back years now. Somebody new comes in and, oh, they, they carry a Bible. They, they have a kippah. They talk Torah, Yeshua. They keep the feasts and festivals. They eat the right thing. They're good to go. Right? We've all done that. And in part, why have we done that? Because we don't want to open up a can of worms. But that's not what we're supposed to do. Somebody comes in, we're supposed to protect the flock. Are you born again? Have you been washed in the blood of Yeshua? Have you been made a new creation in Christ? Get it done. We have to find this out so we know where we are. They're either in truth or in error. And we were all in error. Everybody's in error before they get saved. And that's our responsibility. But no, we can't question anybody. I have a word for you. How dare you question me? Right? I have the gift of healing. I've had visions. And if you want a really cool umbrella to hang your hat on her now, it doesn't matter who and what you are, just become a Catholic. Because thanks to the Pope and the decree that was signed in 99, it was just really revamped in October of last year because that was the 500th year of the Reformation. Just lay it all aside. Don't worry about it. 
just come under the umbrella of the mothership and all is right. I was telling my wife, it was interesting. When I first got saved in 73, Babylon, Antichrist, and all that, and all the reformers, because that's where Baptists basically come out of, I guess, no problem with all that representing Catholicism and the Pope and that system of the harlot. Anybody read my blog? You need to read my blog. There's an incredible note that John Gill happens to throw in on one of the verses. Their mindset was it was no problem for them to recognize Roman Catholicism and the Pope for what it was. But there was this shift along the way. And I can distinctly remember, I can't remember exactly when, but I can distinctly remember where we were told that that old theology was wrong. That Rome's not just the only one on seven hills, and that's how it used to be. The Catholic Church, the Pope, and all that it represents is, is not symbolic of or even the Babylon in the Scriptures. And it slowly moved away. It did. It slowly moved away. And this was one of those things, like when I first got saved, it's like, how come we don't keep the Feast of Festivals? All that, I'm standing back and saying, well, wait a minute. Among my brethren here, why this shift away from something that we have at least a couple hundred years and prior to that, everybody agreeing, but now it's, it's no longer that way. And we're see, I am seeing, see, the problem is my generation needs to die off and go away because the generation after us, I'm talking not just lost but saved, and it's in my blog, are clueless. Because you tend to grow up in every generation, and what you see is what your, 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 um, your basis of operation is from. We have to keep looking back to the scriptures, our forefathers, these great men of the faith that walked and talked and lived for God and shook continents, though they were not messianic. That's why the scripture says, as I father David, as I father David, as I father David. We have to keep going back because if we just live in the present and don't look back on our history, we are going to disintegrate. And that's what's happening before my very eyes with this linking up. And this is what used to be preached but hadn't been in the last 20, 25 years. This linking up of all religions under I don't, am, I, am I going crazy here? So, <sighs> there's no middle ground, folks, is what I'm trying to say. There's no middle ground anymore. The time is winding down. Things are getting worse. It's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. Everybody's going to be one big conglomerate except a few of those that get in the ark. And you're going to think you're a stupid idiot. <laughs> right? You're going to think you're an idiot. Dad, wait wait a minute. What are we doing? Everybody else is out there. And you're telling us, no, get in there. Get in there. I mean, don't you think somebody would have thought somebody's a little crazy? Right? The, the, the smaller your circle becomes, the bigger the circle around you becomes, and you start to think you're crazy. I think I'm crazy at times. All right, so we need to know the truth of God's word well enough to recognize when error is being couched in truth. And this is why error is spreading, because you have to know the word of God on a personal level, and the preachers behind the pulpits have to preach the word of God. You know, I, I feel so crazy preaching like I preached today when this was the norm, and I was really soft-pedaling it at this level. We have to... I'm going to give an analogy... We have to handle real money, truth, so that we will detect the fake error when it passes through our hands. We all know that. I don't know if it's still true anymore, but you know, how do you know a fake, fake money? You handle enough of the real so when you touch or see the fake, you know it's fake. 
The word of God has to so permeate us, is that the right? Permeate us so that you can't always maybe, well, show me where that's a false dollar bill. I can't, I don't, I can't, but how do you know? I just, I've handled enough of the real that I just know that's fake. Let's examine it to see if it is. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking here. For us to know the word of God well enough so that when a lie is couched in truth, though we cannot explain it, though we can't give evidence of it, we say, ah, something is not right here. Let's lay it aside and examine it and test it, just like the Bereans did in relation to the Apostle Paul, no less. And you know what? We don't like or want to do this, do we? It doesn't make you popular. I'm going to use a word my wife hates. You're going to piss a bunch of people off. But there's just way too much at stake. Oh, I, I thought I wrote it down, but it says in Isaiah that truth, I think it's Isaiah, that truth is fallen in the street. It's just falling around. It's dropping dead. It's been wounded, and now truth is just dropping all over the place here. It's just dead, dying. What is truth? Truth is whatever is subjective to you. There's no sin anymore, right? There's no sin. Nothing sin. <laughs> what? I mean, we know what the Word of God says. I'm not talking about that. I mean, societally, nothing is sin anymore. You can do whatever you want, basically. As long as you don't hurt anybody. So, anyway, I'm rambling on more than I was going to do. So, truth. Truth, 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 truth is very important. There's only one place to find it. God, His Word, and the Torah made flesh. It's all one. But God, His Word, written, the Torah made flesh. That's it. There's only one source of truth. And Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth. There's no other truth. It's, it's very um, singular. I can remember talking to my grandfather on my mom's side. Uh, this was later on in life. I was saved in Bible college. I wasn't married yet, home for the summer. We were outside sitting in the backyard where my mom lived, that house over there. And he and I were sitting down at the end of the driveway. There had been a tree there at one time. He, for whatever reason, decided to cut down every tree that was on the property. And we sat under there, and he, uh, we were talking. And he said, Warren, just sometimes I just want to bang my head against that tree over there. Because he was confused. And then he said, you know, but it's kind of like, and you've heard this, all, many roads lead into Hartford, there's many ways to get to God. And I said, Grandpa, no. There's only one way. Yeshua said, I, Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And as far as I know, he died in that confused state. Though I had witnessed to him and told him about the gospel. I don't even know how to get in that. Truth is at stake. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And just working in my heart, I don't know if I verbalized all this as needed to be or even absolutely correctly because, as I said, this is, you know, the first time I've tried to really vocalize this and, and in many ways just working out my thoughts to a concrete speech pattern, speech form. But I think, in essence, what I'm saying is true, Father, from your word. And we find ourselves in the midst of a struggle between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I wish it were middle ground. It's just not. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us somehow to become a people of your word and handle it so much that we'll recognize when a lie couched in truth presents itself to us. 
Though we can't maybe necessarily pinpoint it, we'll at least have enough discernment to say, you know what, let's set this aside and look into this. We need to test it. And that's what I think your people are afraid to do and are unwilling to do because it's not easy and potentially contentious, but it's necessary. And I, for one, Father, I, I just don't want to die having um, short-changed truth for the sake of expediency and camaraderie and conformity to everybody else because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings or upset things. It needs to be done. It's what the prophets did. This is what Isaiah did. Help us, Father. Here we are. Send us. In Yeshua's name.